Hi out there. Just letting people know that for this episode, the recording was done in February 2021 and only just got around to editing it and publishing it now. Uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that life really became quite busy from late February onwards. And the second reason is that the lockdown kicked in not too long after that time. And I can talk about those experiences in a future episode. But that might explain why some of the content in this episode might be a bit dated, whilst some of the material... Um, quite absurdly still holds true. So as a Christmas present for people, I thought to persist with publishing this content. So please enjoy and hopefully I'll continue getting back to doing some episodes. Cheers. Yar, scurvy hearties. A pirate's life for me. Thorn in Your Side is a podcast recorded on the various lands of First Nations peoples, land that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. While there's air that is breathed and water that nourishes and provides, ownership of this land remains unresolved. Respects are paid to elders past and present in the ongoing quest for self-determination and reclamation of land. Hello everyone, my name is M. Welcome to Thorn in Your Side. And as a current update, I am smashed trying to fit everything in. The rideshare adventure is continuing unabated. I am encountering people from all walks of life. I am transporting men in the middle of the night to seedy adult entertainment complexes. And also, um, yeah... Amongst all of that, taxiing about high-level managers of vaccination corporations. So I've got some insider's knowledge about COVID now and how effective the vaccination uh, rollout's going to be. So the stuff that you find out as an Uber driver. Who I have with me here uh, is a, a guy who is... Coming something of a regular to all you folk out there. It is John. Hi, John. Hey, Michael. How are you going? Good, good. Um, sorry to bore you there with my uh, my monologue on my new ride-sharing adventure hat that I've got. No, I'm I'm, I'm excited. I actually I actually am keen to find out what the inside knowledge about COVID vaccination is. I just thought, have I have I accidentally walked? walked into an anti-vax uh, podcast and it's all a hoax. And uh, anyway, I'm only joking. Yeah, no, the guy uh, is pro-vax, obviously, considering uh, professional. Well, of course he is. Brief, it's his business. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. He was telling me his thoughts on how it all roll out across the world. For someone that that, that is part of a, a medical corporation, he, he seemed to have a good semblance of social responsibility. Like he said, there's got to be something that works. It can't really involve how many profits you get. It's actually got to cure it. In that sense, he's um he's pretty 
pessimistic about how it might happen. Like it's been all about trying to get it out as soon as possible and, and make a buck out of it. Did you mention the microchips? Is, did, that, did that come up? No, no microchips. Uh, nothing to do with 4G. Uh, no tinfoil hat wearing. Well, then again, the ride only went so far. So who knows? Maybe like another 10 to 20K, something else might have come up. But So instead instead of, of having a potential conversation about microchips and 5G and, and you had a conversation about good social policy yeah. <laughs> and, and, and rolling out of, of important health services. Yeah, how about that Uber, eh? So I'm fitting that in as well as a full-time job and, um, and doing this podcast at the moment. So working on three speeds and, and trying to get my head around everything. But what we're going to talk about today, John, is, well, I am in my minute, at the moment, minute leisure time. I am fitting in some streaming shows, which has kind of inspired this episode between us, where we can talk a little bit about the streaming phenomenon that's really ratcheted up in the last year or two may or may not be connected to the pandemic i think the links are very apparent but um what's particularly inspired me is through watching wandavision and it's been a lot more exciting experience than what i was expecting which i'm kind of itching to to have a bit of a geek out about podcast episode john as well as doing what we normally do and and try to make it into some profound political shit by the end of it so how about it Sounds good. Sounds good. So you've been watching WandaVision and you, you're up to date as of recording and I'm not. I'm probably about four episodes or so back at the moment. Yeah, so um, that will it, make it like a self-fulfilling spoiler safeguard for everyone, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> we should only ever do do podcasts about things I don't know about. So <laughs> we can't spoil it for anyone else. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's certainly... It was interesting because I, originally I intended, uh, and certainly I did this with The Mandalorian, to watch episodes as they came out. Mm. So the only reason I haven't done it with WandaVision is two things. One, my, my wife wants to watch it as well. So, you know, when you, you've got a, a partner that, that wants to watch these shows with you, you have to work out how you're going to both watch it at the same time. And two, I just I got smashed at work. I just had the you know the end of results of our sort of summer session, and so uh, I haven't had that spare time that I usually do to squeeze in sort of an hour episode every week. But I know when I was watching the last season of The Mandalorian, I was staying up Friday nights. I think it like would come on at about like it would be released at like nine or ten at Friday night or, or Saturday morning or whatever, and I was watching it you know within within an hour of it being released on Disney Plus. So I, I understand the joy that you're probably getting from, you know, every every week, you know, turning it on and there's a brand new episode and, and watching it uh, very quickly. It's reintroducing this, this practice that we used to do back with the TV where you're hanging out for prime time when the, when the episode's on. You, you turn the knob and watch it and away you go. Seems to have the same sort of anticipation, but... It's a little bit different in the sense that you seem to be doing it through the conventional legal ways, John. I'm doing it through the, yar scurvy hearties doing it through the piracy over the internet type <laughs> <of> stuff, <laughs> which is all good because I use a VPN, so whatever. Just Gnarl. turned into a confession? <laughs> Okay, well, if we get over 200 viewers, I think that's going to become court evidence. So 
just just out of curiosity, so so even though you're doing it illegally, no no commentary. You're so you're watching it every week. Are you re-watching episodes? Uh, is that something that happens, or you literally watch one one week and then you know next week download the next one, watch that one? Is there any re-watching going on? If there wasn't any other um, complimentary internet things that are going on, I probably would do that. I remember back when it was just back in the TV days, uh, back when I was a kid, because there was really no other ways of input about the show, you would watch it over and over again. Mm. I suppose that's why Star Wars is is pretty much uh, part of the pop culture lexicon because it's kind of benefited from people like us watching everything over and over and having it turned into our into our subconsciences. But in this occasion, uh, I don't have the time to watch it over and over again. But uh, what I do is that I listen to community YouTube channels that talk about Easter eggs, analyze each episode, um, where there's community forums about each episode. A good one that, that I've gotten into is a channel called Emergency Awesome, and I might provide the link where the fellow Charlie, he has some choice TV shows that he likes watching, one of those being WandaVision, and because that show's under his radar, each episode gets put under the microscope. And it's also a very handy 10 to 20 minute analysis. So that's pretty much my time management threshold. <laughs> so he, um, he fits okay. the bill, does Charlie. And that's interesting in itself because there is, we, are, we probably are going through a renaissance uh, at the moment of, of quality television. And certainly I think the Game of Thrones phenomena was, was really important for that. It sort of did suggest that you could, as an artist, do quite amazing things with television, where I think for a long time people were really focused, you know, on, on making feature films. So that certainly has, I think, something that we're seeing a lot a lot more focus on. Like The Mandalorian, which I can speak of with, with, with a little bit more understanding because I watched the whole thing. Like the quality, the directors, the actors, like this is, you know, cinematic quality uh, mm. that you get in a TV show format. So instead of having a, like a, an hour and a half movie, you've got, you know, eight hours for a season. So there definitely is something there. So it's interesting to see in your case that this is something that you're watching every week and also you're you're finding time to really get into the fan side of it. Well, I think, you know, it is interesting with the streaming service because what we've had happen is we've got rid of video stores. We're not relying on JB Hi-Fi and places like that to go and buy box sets and whatever. We, we've got it all there at our fingertips with, with streaming services. But at the same time, like there's too much, like there's too much to watch. Like this is one of the problems I have. There's too many things to watch. But at the same time, there's amazing quality stuff that it's enjoyable to get into it in a really deep level. It feels like it's filling some sort of contemporary gap within these times. So the, the production quality on a streaming show I'm finding is a step above TV. And I think that's got a lot to do with maybe studios and players like Disney and Amazon really prepared to, to throw some money at producing shows. The other thing as well is that a lot of these popular shows that, that are popping up on the streaming services, they're not absolutely original content. They're universe building. So I've really gotten into WandaVision because it's really doing a lot of that universe building of the MCU. And at the risk of giving away spoilers, uh, I think it really does go a long way. Like there's really a couple of jaw-dropping moments where you think, okay, well, this is going to happen now. wonder who is this? 
Long lost bro get to squeeze his stinking sister to death or what? She recast Pietro? Dude, dude, dude. Is that? No. Or alien, whatever. Can we rewind that part? Yeah. yeah. Can we? Re you'll cut that. That's. So that, and of course, Disney being the the monolithic thing that it is, it's a no-brainer that, that it does what it does with things like Mandalorian. That shows a success, and then now all of a sudden they're announcing there's going to be uh, literally ten Star Wars spin-off shows. So there is a formula there that, that they know that, that consumers are just going to bite onto. I could not be happier. I, I talked to my wife about this. I talked to a lot of people about this, that I can still remember what it was like to be a 14-year-old boy and the things I wanted, right? I wanted to be able to watch basketball in the US. I wanted, to be, I wanted there to be sequels to Return of the Jedi. I wanted these stories to continue. I wanted, you know, my favourite comic books to be in movies. I didn't understand why. I've got now at 45, I have all of that and I'm really quite thankful <laughs> I've got all of that at the moment. I am so happy. I mean, I'm happy with what they do with The Mandalorian. our childhood utopias right now aren't we john yeah very much so very and i think part of it is and maybe this is we're starting to get to the tail end of this but there is certainly the people who are our age who are making this stuff now and so a lot of it is there's a nostalgicness to it like people are saying you know i remember <laughs> i remember when i was a kid not accepting that Boba Fett died in Return of the Jedi, like justifying to other people, no, we saw him go into the pit, but that doesn't mean he's dead. You know, maybe this happened, maybe that happened. And I remember, you know, I must have been like, oh, God, I was, I, I was a young kid. Like even the next door neighbour wanted to play Star Wars and he wanted me to Darth, me to Darth Vader and he would be Luke Skywalker. And I kept saying, no, I want to be Boba Fett. Like, let's... So you're right, like we're getting this amazing sort of stuff that 14-year-old versions of us would have just went, wow, this is, or even younger, like 11, 12-year-old would go, this is what I want. This is what I want for my birthday. This is the dream outcome. Come with me and you'll be. So yeah, and I'm, I'm into it in a major way. Like I'm really, really enjoying it. I think if, if for a moment, just to talk about Star Wars. If for a moment, I would like to talk about Star Wars. Okay, <laughs> famous last words, proceed. So the, the thing was, Disney was very keen to buy Star Wars from, from George Lucas because they had the Disney princesses, right? So they knew they had the girl market locked up. And they really wanted to get a boy market, you know. Disney has always had that problem, right? Their great stuff has been very much, you know, directed at girls. And so they thought if they'd buy Star Wars and, and also if they bought in, in the end buying Marvel as well, that these would be for the boys, right? We will now have some franchises for boys. But then, of course, when they did the new series, of course, they also were trying to create space and by a character of Rey, they were, you know, giving women more opportunity, acknowledging though that Princess Leia is a really important character to lots of women my age. This is something I've written about when I talk about comic books, that they're such a great opportunity to create potential 
intellectual property or potential storylines and characters for movies and TV shows. So really comic books now, I think it's not for Marvel and DC, certainly. It's not super, while it's still important they make money, it, they don't sell like they used to, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, but they're a cheap way to be able to develop characters, to be able to, you know, develop storylines. And so in the Marvel and DC universe, we're seeing storylines uh, and characters that have been created by artists over, you know, the last 50 years, right? And and so there, there's this un... un unlimited almost uh already stories for them to take into the movies and there they've done the same thing now with star wars where they've got all the legends and all these other novels and characters and video games so they've got a plethora of of all this stuff at their hands that they can use and they already know that some of this stuff works because it's been trialed out in a, in a, a novel 30 years ago or it was tried out in a comic you know last year or something so there's all this this uh stuff that they can mine so i think that's that's really interesting certainly for for disney you know they they are able to to really just look into that and pull that out now the other stuff i think the fact that we've got people stuck at home so streaming is something that you do often alone so you know if i go see a star wars movie i'd usually go with a mate you know or my wife or whatever there'd always be i'd very rarely i've done it a couple of times but i don't often go to a cinema on my own and i certainly haven't gone to a cinema in 12 months um, but I'd go with other people and it's experience. When I'm watching The Mandalorian, I'm up at like an 11 o'clock at night in my lounge room watching it on my own. I'm not doing it with anyone else. And I had a funny thing, the last episode when I watched it, so I, I ended up, because I really loved it, I bought a whole lot of Baby Yoda like T-shirts and stuff. And I was at the markets with my wife and I was wearing one. And it was just after the last episode of The Mandalorian had been on like that that morning. And this woman come up to me in tears and just said, oh, my God, did you watch it? And I said, yes. She goes, oh, I've been looking for someone to talk to about it. And her friend that was with us said, yeah, sorry, I don't watch it. So we had this little, you know, three or four minute interaction where we just went, wasn't that amazing? Wasn't that fantastic? Oh, my goodness, blah, 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 blah. And, and then it was like, okay, bye. I've never seen this person ever again. That's an unusual thing to, to happen. But it is that you and, – and, and certainly I think um, – uh, with with a lot of and I think there's a lot of people who will happily say like they watched the last uh, episode of that series of season two of The Mandalorian with tears in their eyes. It was pretty emotional. It was well done. Mm. Um, so it was very emotive for this woman to come up and have a chat to me about it. Like literally, I probably watched it like four hours before we went to the markets. All right, pal. It's time to go. Don't be afraid. We know that Boba Fett has had this badass cred, but we've never really seen him fulfill that in the movies. I mean, they, well, they let's, definitely... Let's be honest, in, the, in Empire Strikes Back, he does nothing. He does nothing. He follows them. Darth Vader is the one that actually captures them. He just happens to to, to be there. And then in Return of the Jedi, he... he looks like he's going to do something cool. And then a blind Han Solo hits him on the back with a, a staff and his jetpack goes off and he dies. He does, he's a shit. He's terrible. Yeah. He's terrible in the original series. And we, yeah, that's the thing. Again, the 11-year-old Johnny gets to see Boba Fett be uh, kick-ass and, you know, do some, you know, 
wrestling uh, jujitsu moves and kill stormtroopers. It's awesome. Well, I find no better way of um, of paying it off than basically um, transplanting Jake the Muzz into Boba Fett. I think that's that's a good good conjunction there, good union. Is whoever whoever cast Tiamo Morrison in um, what was the second prequel? I can't remember what it was called because there's is it a, is it Attack of the Clones? Is that the second one? Yeah, the turn of the, the cast turn of, of the Millennium pre, uh, sequ, uh, trilogy. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the 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 prequel, the prequel trilogy. Attack like, of that, the that casting. That twenty years later, that casting pays amazing dividends. <laughs> in that they cast him as Jango Fett. You know, whoever is almost like that person could see the future and go. You know, in in twenty, nearly thirty years' time, they will uh, bring back Boba Fett, and you know, we can have this. Uh, this gigantic kick-ass Maori guy, you know, just uh, being the greatest bounty hunter ever. I'm a simple man making his way through the galaxy, like my father before me. Did you take the creed? I give my allegiance to no one. And I'm doing the nostalgia, just gushing over the fact that isn't it great that we've got Mandalorians again and isn't it great that there's bounty hunters and, you know, all this other cool stuff. But the fact is The Mandalorian is a really, really lovely story about, you know, family and, you know, the relationships and stuff. It's, it's, it's really a good, a good series. And certainly for me, you know, recently having my son and watching, you know, this sort of father-son relationship between The Mandalorian and, and, um, and Baby Yoda has just been outstanding. I do also go back to your earlier point, John, that um, when you've got a monolith like Disney, um, which is taking on the streaming platforms, um, there's a lot that they're putting into it that um, that needs to work for them because as well as, the, I guess, the politics, um, what is primary for them is the capitalist incentive in that this stuff needs to be lucrative and profitable and you've got to come up with content that's going to be lucrative and profitable. Part of that is coming up with um, very accessible, um, meaningful, and I guess relatable and appropriate politics. Don't know your thoughts. Yeah, I think I think that's what it is a little bit now. Which is, I certainly think Disney's track record pretty recently is as you know, and and I talk about this in my work about being relative, like relatively progressive. Like they certainly are not, you know, socialists or anarchists or anything, but, you know, they've certainly, in, it's interesting where I was talking about they bought Marvel and they bought Star Wars with the idea that they could sell things to boys, that very much as soon as they got control of Star Wars, they straight away put, you know, a, a female main character in uh, to, to be the centre point of, of the new... Um, Star Wars movie series that they did. There's a there's a little bit I've written a little bit and talked about in regards to it. The Avengers, it was a bit different, but that actually has a little bit to do with 9-11. I'll talk about that another time. But, yeah, I think we're in a situation where if you're joining Star Wars, if you're signing up to be an actor in Star Wars and take a major character role, it, this is more than just a gig, an acting gig. 
you know, this is, there's an element of social responsibility. You know, you're, you need to look at the way, you know, Mark Hamill handles himself. You need to look at uh, the way these, these other actors, like it, it's something bigger. And if it's successful, right, if you do a good job and everyone does a good job and it becomes successful, it's so much bigger. It's something that's going to be the center point of your career. And certainly I think this is a the thing they're looking for people who, who are not only just going to do really good jobs acting, but are going to be really good role models and really, you know, positive contributions to, to the social culture. To maybe predict things where this streaming stuff might go, um, you're seeing different groups, companies, um, production uh, groups, um, creating shows and platforms it may just be that um, that into the future you you might just see um, a couple of companies um, emerge that are pretty much going to cater for um, the the right uh, or as Dave Eden puts it the cosmic right and the consumer base that um, that where that th- those political views might be facilitated um, where you see such streaming platforms get made and then you see suddenly all this garbage content emerge and um, it's all exclusively right. it's exclusively for those who are prepared to pay to access that, that the shows on that, on those platforms. That could potentially traditionally, happen. Traditionally, the right is terrible, is terrible at entertainment, is terrible at, 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 at fiction. They, they're crap. What they're very good at is news. So I was listening to something that talked about. Um, well, John, I just I, I'm just thinking like uh, you know how there's the the big uh, evangelical market. Like there's a whole bunch of TV evangelical shows. Um, what's to say that there isn't a cross section of that with right wing popular culture? A lot of the cosmicy stuff that that goes on. Um, the views of people like Gina Carano. That all gets one, and you can also feed in what's happened with the Trump again over the last few years as well. You could smash all that together, and the product of it could be like a, a new streaming con, a new streaming platform, which produces garbage content that will cater for a specific consumer base. I, I think there's always been the risk of of, of right wing entertainment, and there's examples of right wing, you know, movies and and so forth. Like I remember. Um, and it depends on how far you take it, right? Because there's always this part about what what do you see and what's there. The movie 300 is one of the most fascist movies I've ever seen, right? I also enjoyed it, but... This is madness! Madness. This is Each and every man under my command owes me 100 Nazi scalps, and I want my scalps. But yeah, I, I, I think this is a thing when we look at entertainment, so we look at music, when we look at, you know, movies, comic books, TV shows, um, I think that progressive left-wingness has, 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 you know, with moments where it's been diluted and, and pushed down, it's just it's always been, been quite strong there. Like the, that, that's where the interesting stories are. Right-wing stories have just never really particularly been very good I think the actors, you know, I think the, the way we talk about, you know, a left-wing sort of bias in in um, the entertainment industry, I think it's there. The interesting thing is I think in the US and maybe even Australia too, we look at the media, there's a, there's a much more of a right-wing bias. The right is really, really focused on on media and, and, and that aspect of it in regards to news media. I mean, maybe that's something for us 
later on to, to, to talk about and actually see, like, let's have a look and see at the history of right-wing popular culture. Like, where, where, what's, some, what's some examples of it and what's been successful and not successful? Um, I know a couple of times I've, I've watched TV shows recently and, and had to say to my wife, like, the story's okay, but actually I don't like this underlying theme. This underlying theme disturbs me a little bit. But, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I probably am not so worried. I, and, and, look, I'm often wrong about everything. So I could, maybe there is going to be this right-wing streaming service where they'll tell these lovely stories about racial purity and, you know, gender binaries and, and, and people will love it. Well, I think it's all about this idea of, um, of capitalism, um, and the, the limits it has with um, with having a social responsibility and social commentary with it, its content. Um, at the end of the day, it is a marketplace. It's an amoral marketplace. So I feel in that sense, um, there is the capacity um, for those kind of platforms to emerge. If they haven't already done so, um, I encourage anyone that's happened to listen to us today, to if they've come across anything like that, to maybe let us know. We can... Maybe in the future, John, we can do a bit of a, an expose on it um, when we're not unpacking whether or whether or not PMs shut themselves in Maccas. It's, um, it's something to put onto the back burner. I would love to do it as a project. Let's find, let's find the highest quality right-wing shows. Like, you know, let, let, let's see what we can find. The right-wing movies and TV shows of the last 10 years. Cool. And let's see what's out there. What 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 do what do the uh, deplorables when they're uh, when they're not watching Fox News and and what what are they what are they watching on TV what 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 do they sit down and relax you know I'm just going to chill out you know have a half hour sitcom which, which sitcom is it I've never it's like the same sort of discussion happens in stand up comedy like where are the right wing comedians um, you know there's a few sort of out there and there's a few that sort of get pinpointed but you know usually comedy is 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 always been about you know um, attacking people in power like there's there's been a left wing sort of focus to it but yeah you know this is this is something that, that's interesting I get I get a lot of criticism from people when I talk about the progressive nature of Disney and and point out you know its links to ESPN and the NBA and you know that while it's not critiquing capitalism so much it is critiquing the the sexism and racism that you know we certainly see in American society and by by the nature of the link to our society, our society as well. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting idea. Cool. We've also got on the docket uh, our discussion about the, the prime minister. Uh, and okay. I wonder if we should fast track that because I just everything that's going on, how long is this guy going to be prime minister for? He seems to be screwing up royally. Uh, that's all right, John. We've still got that gate on the docket. Uh, we can look at that. But for now, uh, I think we better put a line under this episode, John. Um, so um, uh, I go back to what started this off with One Division. Um, one more episode left in that season, um, which has been a bit more of a phenomenon that I was expecting. Um, at the very least, inspired discussion on this episode. Um, but not unexpectedly, um, John, you hijacked this episode by turning it into a Star Wars fest. Thank you.
Well, we, did, we just clearly need a Star Wars episode. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Disney Star Wars. I'll get us there really quickly. I'm going to play the end credits and you keep your powder dry and then you can hijack the next episode. Sound fair? Sounds good, Michael. No worries. May the voice be with you. <laughs> Always. All right. Thanks, John. Catch you later. See you, mate.